Hello, I'm Carrie Gard, and welcome to Tea Time with Tech Marketing Leaders. And we're live. We're live. Round two. Let's do this. I'm so excited. Thank you all for tuning in to this episode of Tea Time with Tech Marketing Leaders as we take it live. This is our second round of doing this. And Adrian was kind enough to be a guinea pig in this grand experiment. So thank you, Adrian. Thank you for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, I have to say, I don't feel much different being live versus not live. So that's a good thing. I can't get too nervous. <laughs> Awesome. And I'm going to pay attention for those who are joining. Yes, thank you. I can't see you. I don't know that you're here. The only way I'll know is if you hang out in the comments and let us say hi, let us know where you're from, start some conversations, ask questions. I am paying attention to the comments. I'd love to know. I'd love to know who's joining us here today on Tea Time. Adrian, I'm so grateful for this. Oh, me too. I feel like we haven't connected for quite a while. So it's really great to reconnect now. It's been a bit. Before we get into it, I need to introduce you all to this wonderful human. Adrian and I worked many moons ago at MEC in Seattle, Washington. Good times. We sat next to each other and caused all sorts of mischief. Yep. <laughs> we had great debates to the point where our VP, Mark Yusayan, who was sitting across from us, actually wished he had popcorn at one point. Oh, yeah. Was like, Everyone thought we were fighting, but we were just <laughs> agreeing and disagreeing very loudly. It was great. Mark Mark knew what was up. Mark yeah, knew what was up. Popcorn was, was the right call. <laughs> it was awesome. I loved it so much. And after a few years of us parting ways and going our separate directions, we reconnected. And over, we were having a play date with our children. Oh, yeah. And I was picking Adrian's brain about building teams and managing and people. And he had so many great nuggets. I was like, how do you feel about being a mentor of mine? And so he was a mentor for many years. And MRI, to those who are listening from MKG, thank you for joining. I appreciate you. And you can thank this gentleman for MRI, most respectable interpretation. It was a game changer for me in terms of how I took feedback, of how I listened to people, how I stopped taking things so personally and how I really started thinking about where the other person was coming from. And that is all thanks to this human. And uh, that's also like baked in our values and our playbook and it's immense, immense value. So yes to Adrian and our connection. Since then, Adrian has gone on to do many things outside of our relationship. He started, he was with me at MEC. I don't say started because you're going to tell that story. He was oh, yeah. with me at MEC. He went on to Razorfish and actually he was at Microsoft building teams around analytics and he's going to unpack all that for us in a second but i just wanted to give you all a sense of why he's here on tea time while we have a great connection he's also got immense knowledge when it comes to working at tech companies and what it means to be a marketer and what it means to be a marketer in analytics i think there's some friction happening right now in the market of everybody trying to move very quickly but also trying to drive to revenue but also like trying not to spend a lot of money. And so Adrian's going to help us get some clarity around how we can do some of those things um, really, really intentionally and thoughtfully, thanks to his experience. So Adrian, 
Great. Well, first off, I'm really glad that you started the conversation about our previous conversations on agreeing and disagreeing very loudly. I would have to say it's that kind of brainstorming and that kind of back and forth that I get almost all of my energy from. Um, if I could have a career doing nothing but having those very passionate conversations, I certainly would. Uh, again, assuming that I know something about what I'm talking about. Also, in terms of MRI, uh, thank you for the credit there, but I have to be very transparent that I stole that from someone else and just brought it along to you. Some, uh, I don't remember where I got it from, but someone else told me that, and it seemed really, really applicable to uh, the situations that kind of you were in, so it made the most sense. And I also look back at both of our histories uh, at MEC and then working together with uh, MKG uh, really very fondly. Uh, again, it goes back to getting to have those in-depth, brainstorming, fun conversations. So I forgot the question while I was busy. Come to think of it. Yeah, before I get to the question, come to think of it, we can also thank you for this podcast because oh, on yeah. one of our... Yeah, when, on one of our walking and talking uh, through Redmond Town Center, I was yeah. like, I need a creative outlet. I need something. And we hashed out this idea of, well, this is a thing that's happening. Maybe I need to get on a podcast. And so we all, all, we all have this to thank you for, too. Yeah. Well, and now yeah. it's more of a vlog, video podcast. I know. Look at me. Look at this. But I think that's the great. evolution. You're stepping it up. Oh, it's, an, it's a journey for yeah. sure. It's a journey for yeah. sure. Why don't you tell us your story, Adrian? I mentioned oh. our connection and where we came right. from, but that's not your story. Your story is yours. So what, what did you do at Microsoft? And more importantly, how did you get there? Great. So um, first of all, uh, the, the good and bad news is that I'm actually no longer at Microsoft, as probably everyone knows. It's anywhere related to the tech industry or been to my LinkedIn. Um, there's been a lot of restructuring within a lot of these tech companies. I had the, the joy, quite frankly, of getting to work at Microsoft for over seven years and saw many, many reorgs. And this most recent one, I just was reorged out. And that is actually kind of A-OK. -okay. But the role that I had upon my departure is what's called a technical program manager. And I was a technical program manager, a senior technical program manager within the data and analytics group that was part of the greater global demand center. And I'm going to break down exactly what that means rather than just give you a bunch of letters. So my role was working across two different teams. One was a data visualization team. The other one was a data science and advanced analytics team. And my job was to work with them and their stakeholders and bring visibility into the work that they're doing to ensure everyone knows what's going on, what the blockers are, there's clear communication from start to finish on all of the different projects and visibility so that things move forward. That is kind of primarily a solution uh, play, meaning there's a specific problem that exists in all departments and particularly in analytics where it, people view it as a bit of a black box, anything to do with analytics. They think they can put things in and magically get things out. They don't under necessarily understand all the ticks and clicks, what the process actually looks like, and it gets very easy for these very intelligent individuals to kind of take a bit of a waterfall approach in terms of development. They get their requirements, they go and make something, six months later they come back, and then there's a bit of disconnect between what the product is and where the business is now. That role was meant to bring everyone along to make it a more of an iterative process. So prior to that, um, I was working as a senior product marketing manager still in data and analytics um, within the GDC. And 
one of the issues that we had uh, with our organization is what I would call a single source of truth. What that means is when a lot of people have a lot of access to a lot of different data, but they're all trying to tell roughly similar stories and that data is very complex, you end up slicing and dicing it differently and getting different numbers with different reasons and different insights. And then you end up with a little bit of swirl. And that was um, really not what people wanted in the end. So one of the roles that I uh, had the pleasure of playing was building this data visualization uh, kind of portal that brought um, really, really smart people um, putting together different sets of dashboards. And these would be stamped as the official views for how effective our marketing space was. And then prior to that, I was a product marketing manager kind of working as a data analyst. And this is all within what is the called the Global Demand Center. And I'm not going to go into too much detail. I have a really great uh, link, actually, that talks about the Microsoft Global Demand Center. And it, it truly is one of the best in the world. But net-net, the way to look at it, and this kind of will tailor into the omni-channel personalization, what the purpose of that is, is to bring together in a central place all of the touch points that a customer or potential customer has and understand what are they consuming and, and when, and then based on their consumption habits, move them down that funnel ultimately to a sale. Um, and the Global Demand Center was really focused on that. That is a very, very high level brief I would say 100,000 foot level. And I can't necessarily say that I can give you all the ticks and clicks of exactly how that works because A, very complicated. And um, I didn't actually design all of that global demand center. I had the pleasure of reporting on some of the effectiveness of different campaigns in it. So where I am today is one, looking for uh, a new home where I can focus uh, my energies around data and analytics and marketing and advertising to really move forward in what I would call the modern marketing approach, which is, we call it personalization in an omnichannel funnel. Really, it's kind of the table stakes for what consumers expect and businesses expect when you are giving them any kind of media. They expect you to know that they already purchased the iPhone, so I shouldn't be advertising you the iPhone or or this different registration process. And, and if you don't do that, that actually erodes your brand. And by not doing that, you end up wasting a lot of media and a lot of resources. So looking to move into that space and excited to talk with you, Carrie, about it, because I could talk about it all day. I think we were talking about this at a certain level, we even at MEC. Wait, we, wait. Totally, yeah. we totally were. Quick shout out to Trevor. Trevor, thank you for joining us. Excited to have you. Feel free to drop your questions to us. And 100% Adrian, this is exactly what we were talking about yeah. at MEC. It was very much around attribution, first touch, view through conversions, oh, all yeah. through the lovely platform that was Atlas. Yeah. <laughs> At the time. Yeah. yeah. Way back, dating ourselves. It's glorious. And you, you, it is funny when I say it, everyone's like, oh, what's that? I'm like, oh, I've gotten to that point. Mm. Talk about yeah. records, too. Gosh. <laughs> so when did that happen? I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, the last, between having children and then, and then COVID, it's sort of like the lost year. So time has just yeah. flown by. Flown by. Yes. Agreed. Agreed. Um, Real quick before we get into the omni-channel conversation, which I'm excited to unpack with you, and tr still trying to follow my format, even though it's in a new it's in a new home that is here on LinkedIn uh, Live, which has been inspired by Trevor, uh, who has been doing LinkedIn Live for so long. And after seeing him do it, I've 
felt empowered. So thank you, Trevor. Um, but before we get there and following my format, tell me about a challenge you're currently facing because we're all human and life is hard. Yeah. Well, okay. So outside of the scope, when it comes to uh, personalization, a personal challenge, well, the obvious one of looking for a new role uh, is, it is a challenge, but at the same time, it's really quite exciting. So I'm actually going to change that a little bit. The real challenge about that is going through the self-reflection to understand what is it that I'm really excited about and what is it that I really necessarily want to focus on? What does the next few chapters look like and how do I necessarily get there? Um, the challenge of making sure that you don't necessarily take the path of least resistance and, and go the route that's easiest as much as the route that is intentional. And what the reason why that's a challenge, at one level that seems really very simple. On the other level, I think it's actually quite complicated because if you ask someone to be really very, very honest, most people will tell you they don't really know exactly what it is that they want to do. They can give you aspects of what they want to do, um, but it's one of those you don't know what you don't know situations until you start kind of doing things. So you have to boil it down into the essence of the things that you're really focused on. And one of the things is getting to talk passionately about things that I care about is something that I really, really want to do because I'm probably going to do it anyways. So that definitely is 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 a challenge. Uh, probably the, the the biggest, most direct one. And then of course the basic stuff like drinking enough water. Uh, to everyone that's listening, please make sure you drink more water because believe it or not, probably dehydrated. True story. Yeah. True story. Um, oh, I think that's really important. I don't know that we all know. It's all about what gives us energy and not drains it at the end of the day. And I feel like there's more opportunity out there now more than ever. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's it's tricky, though, because it's also like everybody's looking. So trying to find the right spot for you. Um, I'm Yeah. yeah. I guess the other way to put that is moving your space, your head to become process oriented and outcome independent, which is incredibly difficult to do when you start talking about your career, because you want to take a role that's going to enrich you and move you along. That's very uh, outcome dependent, but ensure that you're doing it in a way that the process has all the goodness that you need. Uh, it, that is a challenge, especially right now, but it's really important to do. So for me, that looks like doing this and networking and talking to people that do really interesting things that I get excited about. So that's fun. Is your process consistent? Like I find with process, you you can't just sort of like, the process comes with sort of steps that you take. So you mentioned networking, you mentioned live blogging, which is now, you know, on your resume and glorious. Is there like certain things like you wake up in the morning and you sort of treat getting a job like a job or you sort of more... yeah you do yeah yeah you do you have to you have to have a structure about it uh at least for me so one of the 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 exciting things is that your calendar becomes really very open and that is a double-edged sword you can putter away and do nothing basically and have no impact or you can structure your day where you're balancing self-care uh, professional development networking applying you know adding value at home a lot of those different things so you structure it in that way and then you have a mental map of how you're gonna spend that time. That could be you're spending X number of hours networking, X number of hours applying, X number of hours doing professional development, um, and then X number of networking. 
exercising and, and stuff like that. So I wouldn't necessarily say I have a very clear process in terms of everything that has to happen as much as the approach that I try to take and, and blocking out those sections so that uh, if you're like me, you can over-index on any of those very, very easily unless you have a schedule that you try to stick. I imagine I would do the opposite. I would imagine be like, ah, tomorrow's another day. It'll be fine if I didn't have yeah. like... Yeah, I mean, that, that's definitely <laughs> I an alluring option, right? To put everything off. But, you know, uh, if you spend five to 10 minutes trying to do it, you'll end up spending probably half an hour to an hour actually doing it. And then you've done it. And if you do that every single day, you've then put iterative process and iterative, um, um, what's the word, progress towards what it is that you're working for. And, and all things that are important take time anyways. So if you put it off, you never get started. And, but it can be overwhelming, like any project, any work. It always can mm -hmm. seem overwhelming. How, how am I going to boil this ocean? Well, you don't need to boil this ocean. You need to take a little cup and boil that water and then take another cup and then another cup. And then before you know it, you've done a gallon and you're off to the races. You have enough water to get you through a, a marathon. Yeah, there you go. To your point of drinking enough water. I mean, yes. I like it. <laughs> Let's talk about how you've built systems and teams at Microsoft that allow you to see performance from first to last touch. I think that's sort of, I'm that's very- A little bit of it. So I, yeah, let's, no worries. I'll go a little bit more into the, the, the teams that I worked with at Microsoft um, and how that relates to global, the Global Demand Center. So the first off, the Global Demand Center did look at those, all of those interactions. When you start talking about first touch and then last touch, the key difference when you're talking about the marketing funnel is when someone becomes a known lead versus an unknown lead. Typically your first touch, your first interaction, they're still an unknown lead. Think of impressions or clicks on ads or really basic things until you start getting to a point where you have a unique identifier for that individual or like an email address. Um, they're kind of that very, very high up upper funnel. Uh, then once you have that known lead or, or known contact or that ID for that person, you have some information on them, then things get significantly more interesting in the marketing funnel and you can start a full uh, uh, marketing touch point kind of engine with them. So my role was not to necessarily build that, but to report on the effectiveness of that and talk about how folks are moving down the different stages within that funnel of consideration and uh, purchase and, and then finally uh, post-purchase and things like that, awareness and, and whatnot, so that we could understand where are the gaps and then start cutting that, slice and dice that by geography, by offer, by every way under the sun. So the two teams that I worked with on that, one was the data visualization team. Again, that was to handle the core problem of not having a single source of truth or really we had many sources of truth and then getting that key visual that's gonna answer. I, I like to say dashboards answer 80% of the questions. Uh, the reality is dashboards answer the first 80% of the questions and then all of the questions change and the dashboard isn't often able to answer those questions because 
the audience more informed and they ask more complex questions. <laughs> I was going to say, it just um, creates more questions. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, that's not necessarily bad. Uh, you, to, to make the analogy, if you don't have a speedometer on your car, you're always going to be asking how fast am I going? Once you have that speedometer, well, then you're going to ask how much gas do you have? Well, once you have that, you're talking about your oil pressure. So, it, you know, it builds. Once you have more information, it just keeps kind of going. So that's right. fine. Um, so that's kind of how that related to the two team. Uh, one of the team ended up, uh, I moved away from, um, but I started operating as a TPM for them. And that was the data visualization team. And they also had a secondary team, which was an ad hoc analytics team. So whenever you have that 80% dashboards, you're also still going to have a lot of ad hoc analytics. And this is an, a, a very large analytics department yeah. that's grouped into a lot of different things. One of the things that I had the ability to have a team focus on was an outside team, was uh, ad hoc analytics. So a question would come in that couldn't be answered about the dash, uh, by the dashboard or dashboards and or a question about the dashboard specifically that would then get funneled to this ad hoc analytics team that would dig into it based on an SLA or would funnel it to an expert based on that specific question uh, that was outside. Quick, quick yeah. question from the audience, TPM? Technical program manager, I apologize. I... Uh, defined you that early on in the conversation, but a technical program manager. Think of a, uh, a you're, we're all pretty familiar with a PM in general. A technical PM is kind of someone that works a lot with engineers rather than uh, a general kind of business PM. Um, that is kind of one of the main distincting factors of a TPM. Again, right. but it's a very broad term. So that can be different at almost any and every organization. And typically, uh, technical program managers are very deep on one or two very specific subjects so that they can operate in that engineering space very effectively. Again, but it's going to be different. I don't want to be the uh, be all yeah. end all on what a TPM is. Right. And so for you in this particular role, you were helping the 20% figure out what those questions were and then using your outsourced team to answer those questions in terms of that ad hoc data. That was part of really yeah. yeah. The other part was uh, the working with the team to develop additional dashboards and evolve the dashboard based on stakeholder needs and requirements and, and kind of what that looks like. I ended up, um, I didn't own that as a, as the senior technical program manager. I wasn't the manager of that team. At one point I was, but when I moved into the senior technical program manager role, I focused not on what they should be doing in terms of increasing visibility into what they are doing. Yeah. And totally Trevor acronyms for everyone. Every company has their acronyms. Yeah. Every industry has their acronyms. I remember when I joined general mills, uh, as, as a senior media planner many moons ago, they every brand had their own acronym. Um, HNC was Honey Nut Cheerios. God forbid we say Honey Nut Cheerios, we have to say HNC. So oh, yes, yeah. acronym soup for everyone. Um, let's talk about the funnel, Adrian, because yeah. you mentioned it a couple times. So let's actually, def you, you mentioned sort of parts of the funnel, but let's actually really hone in on what the funnel means to you right. and and the different parts, because I'm getting a mixed vibe in the atmosphere outside, you know, in the industry, a funnel or no funnel, is it different than the customer journey? Is it the same? And so you said funnel yeah. a couple times, what's your sort of take on it? Totally. So how I think about the customer funnel and the customer journey, I, I view the customer journey to almost be like a snake that lives within 
it was snake winding around, mm -hmm. live within that funnel. Yeah. Um, I don't necessarily see them as mutually exclusive. Um, the customer journey is the process of all the different media touch points that a customer is going to take to gain the knowledge and and uh, make a purchasing decision ultimately or not um, on your product. That funnel is how you categorize those different stages um, within that kind of customer journey that you can control. And the goal is to understand within that funnel, what are the pain points and problems that that potential customer, that person has in relation to your product. And so at the very, very top, it's just, are they aware? And what does that awareness look like? And there's a series of different marketing and advertising efforts that you can have that, that in theory, would move them down to the next funnel or at least move them out of that awareness stage. And then within consideration, again, a bunch of different uh, omni-channel media touch points that they could take. So I see a customer journey as what their path is, and I see the funnel as within their path, what can I control in terms of those those touch points to a certain degree. So that's kind of how, how I think about it. And when we start talking about omni-channel, truly that means what is the- Hold on, hold on, before we get there, I really wanna like hone in on this point yeah. I think it'll come up again, but hone in on this point around what we can control. I feel like, I don't feel like, I know this. I've done enough research. I've had enough podcasts at this point. I've talked enough to the audience. Uh, we are not in control of the sales process anymore. It is truly up to the buyer of when they are ready to buy. And if they feel like they have done enough research oh, to make sure. a thoughtful decision, and so I love what you're saying around what we can control because it's feeling smaller and smaller <laughs> and smaller and really like dependent on the buyer at this point and how we- Yeah, and that gets into a really interesting psychological and, and almost moral conversation. Should we even be able to control it all the way down? No, we really, we, we shouldn't. All we should be able to do as marketers and advertisers is- best anticipate the needs of potential customers and then best inform them in terms of how our products and services best fit those those needs and that is quite frankly the best that we can and should um you should being loose uh aim for otherwise you start going into what's kind of like the tinfoil hat fear around advanced advertising and marketing and that it's all this is overbearing very controlling a psychological game that we're all stuck in and don't even know it, which is terrifying. Uh, I can, my experience and your experience really says usually it's not even close, not even close to that uh, complex. It's usually surface level. Um, so, but the idea that it was ever really in our control, I think was, was, uh, kind of extreme as well. It was always up to the, the the customer to feel good about making that decision in some way, shape or form. So they've they've been successfully sold on uh, the idea that this product or service is going to reduce a pain point uh, 
or read increase our inherent value in some way, really kind of almost those two different things. It's probably a lot more in terms of the psychology, but unless that customer feels or potential customer feels that this service somehow meets in a known or unknown need, it, you know, it doesn't go anywhere. It's true. They do, and they don't really want to hear from us at this point. They want to feel completely in control, which then creates this little bit of a battle between us wanting control and them wanting control and, and this friction, especially in sales yeah. of, uh, of needing to hit poor sales teams have these numbers they need to hit and feel really the pressure of doing that. And then they like harp on the audience till, and then the audience backs off and sort of like this roundabout way we keep the merry-go-round we all get on. And I'm so yeah. glad we're all acknowledging that we need to get off except and let the buyer do what the buyer needs to do. We create as much vision, you know, visibility and value around them as possible to say, if we're for you, here's how and why, and you'll ultimately make decision. And that's about all we can do. Yeah. And that, that kind of goes into my inherent interest when it comes to the personalization approach uh, within the whole funnel is why I like, the idea of modern marketing and, and marketing in general and advertising is the reduction of waste and in theory, the increase of utility. If the messages that I'm getting are valuable to me in some way, there's some sort of utility, then I'm going to view that brand more positively and view advertising in general more positively. A really good example of this is uh, much like a large percent of the population, uh, mycology mushrooms have been really interesting to me lately, um, not just for the Last of Us show, which is pretty entertaining, but because so of that, yeah, I'm now getting advertising um, for mushroom coffee, which is not actually coffee most of the time, but it's a bunch of different uh, medicinal, functional mushrooms, cordyceps, et cetera, that are meant to give you energy. Now that provides a utility to me. If I instead was getting a whole bunch of ads for um, instant coffee, not as much, but there still could be an argument there as well. So that's what I really like about that funnel. It all goes down to the right message to the right person at the right time and those are really really big terms but and, and as long as you kind of take a bit of the, the the stance of don't be evil you can use them in a way that benefits both the company and the individual in terms of what is that right message what is that right person and what is that right time uh, in a way that is both beneficial to the person and beneficial to the company and that that core nugget is really the, the true North Star that I think a lot of folks are, are working towards um, in different ways. Naturally, you'll have bad players as well that just want to, uh, I remember those lower my bills ads, things like that, that, that obviously not particularly advanced, but they were very effective um, and not, you know, so you'll always have that as well, but that's a whole different conversation. This is true. Um, let's talk a bit while we're stuck talking about the funnel. One of the questions I have for you is around the dark funnel, right? And things yeah. we can't measure and how you're defining the funnel in relation to that. How does the dark funnel fit in to the customer journey, this snake that's going through in terms yeah. of like what we can and can't see? So I want to make sure I have an understanding of the dark funnel and rather than uh, just answering that. When I envision the dark funnel, I truly mean these are the activities that people are taking that I can't measure or control. 
or can I mean, yeah, I think that you might even not, you have no idea whether you just know that you're putting this information out there, whether it's through social, you know, social sort of hard, especially organic social, sometimes really hard to measure, um, especially word of mouth stuff. Um, uh, you, you know, so there's no one-to-one, they clicked the link, they came to our site, they bought, right? It's, yeah. it's totally. very organic and you can't, the, people oh. just show up one day. There's a really good example, real quick, real quick story that mm-hmm. my business partner just told me about this happening. So somebody was watching YouTube um, channel over and over and over. Every single video that came out, this person, like they didn't interact with it. They didn't comment. They just watched these videos. And then one day they showed up on a cold call and said, I'm ready to buy. And they're like, I've never heard of you. How did you find us? He was like, I've just been watching your YouTube videos and I'm ready to take in what like, but there's no way until that no happens. Yeah. No way to know. Yeah. Uh, so the, the, the foundation of personalization is data. And if you don't have data in some way, you can't do a whole lot of personalization. So when I think about that dark funnel, I position that as the very, very top upper funnel. It's still important to put to, to be active in those places in a way that's in line with your brand and your messaging, but they also need to be done in a way that would bring them to that position where we're able to get that that data. So you're always going to get the, the I don't know that they're actually outliers statistically, but we'll call it an outlier that consumes your content, but doesn't do anything else. And you can't necessarily track it in any way that's going to exist. And it's kind of a bonus. The, the goal is move them into a space that you can begin tracking them. And then you can begin building segments about users that are similar based on their behaviors. And then you start utilizing different kinds of engines to give them different messages based on that segment and then their behavior. And so you can kind of move them down. So to answer the question, how do I think about it? It's uh, definitely a nice plus one, but the goal in my mind is to move them into a place where I can get data so that I can guide in some way, knowing that there will always be that that outlier that that comes in that consumes our media. So the other way to think about that is the things that you're putting out that aren't personalized are still very, very valuable and still worth doing. And keep in mind that if you go too specific for that broad information, you may lose that that small little outlier. And that isn't necessarily bad. Because if you're able to go that specific, you're also likely able to move them into a space where you're able to get that that data. Because with specificity comes deeper interest generally, and then deeper interaction. And once you have that interaction, say a site site interaction, then you can start leveraging that and put that into your engine. I think that's really important because I find that sometimes people feel like it's not working. Oh, we're doing brand. We're doing all this social. We're doing this these podcasts. We're doing all this community stuff, but I'm not seeing any actual like hard return on it. So maybe we should just stop doing it because it's so much energy. And it's like, but you don't know what that dark funnel stuff is feeding in the actual funnel when they make that leap yeah. from yeah. that awareness to actually entering the user journey and that personalization. Absolutely. But you have to capture them. And I, I think just don't give up. Like you can always test it and turn it off and see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> I don't recommend it. I wouldn't but that's one that. way. <laughs> yeah. 
I, I really just think of it as the very top of the upper funnel. And your goal is to do that, to bring folks, folks in. Um, the goal is to get, in my mind, the goal is to get, get it trackable. But again, I come from the data and analytics and if yeah. you can't track it, it do. kind of doesn't exist for me. Yeah. Um, but it still, it, it still plays a, an important part. Uh, so branding is very important and I'm not going to say anything otherwise, but you can't personalize very well on no. branding and you can't personalize without data that I'm aware of. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's, that's true. So we talked about the funnel. Let's talk about channels. Yeah. So before we get into the omni of it, what do, what is, what does channel mean to you? Is that just straight up social, you know, Facebook oh, versus Twitter? Yeah, or is no. That, yeah. What does I like, mean to you? I like that question and how you worded it. Um, I think of channels as a fairly loose definition, but it's the grouping of different media touch points. And I even use media uh, uh, fairly loosely. It's the grouping of different avenues for messaging of some sort that you're able to exert effort on in some way, shape or form. Um, so yeah, earned, owned, social, paid, all of the things that you, when you think of digital marketing and the messaging that you're putting out, to me, that is a channel. And that's an opportunity to inform and direct your potential customer or an existing customers to better suit their needs in some way, shape or form. Um, each channel, and again, I use that loosely, each grouping of messaging avenues, which sounds a lot like channel, is going to have its own unique aspects to it that you're going to have to talk a little bit differently, communicate a little bit differently based on uh, the technical capabilities within that channel and the users uh, that go necessarily to that channel. The important thing to consider is a, a testing and B, you don't actually have to be everywhere all the time. That's exhausting. And that's actually one of the, the issues is understanding where does it make the most sense for you to move into and have an impact because so there's a bit of a ratio of effort and impact and then understanding that resources are not infinite you're not going to be able to be on every single channel effectively it's significantly better to understand where your customers are and potential customers are or where your customers are coming from and optimize your energies based on that and then within that channel put your effort into optimizing your efforts to be most effective for whatever KPI you're looking for. Let's say I call it engagement for that channel. Um, the overall idea of the omni-channel is that even though you're optimizing within each thing, say your social being one way or, or YouTube ads another way, you, you have a brand guidelines and message guidelines that fit. And then within each of those channels, um, you have the ability to have more of an autonomous approach that are still within the guardrails, but can still, but can work to the, the uniqueness of each of those channels. That's how I think about it. Yeah, I love how you're talking about it not necessarily being a platform, YouTube, Twitter, LinkedIn, yeah. Google, and more about the approach of what you're trying to accomplish. So whether it's organic mm -hmm. from a search standpoint, organic social um, video being YouTube, which could also mean TikTok, which could also mean a bunch of things, but how you show up in that medium and then, you know, how you show up in, in the platform. So it's almost like channel to 
medium to platform and really like digging, you know, digging yeah. that down Absolutely. and personalizing it that way. Yeah. And then who's on that channel is going to be very different. A YouTube user versus a TikTok user might be very different. Yes. Um, in terms yeah. of how they're, you don't want long form <laughs> content on TikTok. Exactly. Um, versus YouTube. Yeah. So. And, and, and the challenge there is two, is two part is making content in an effective way that's scalable, that true integrated marketing approach. So how do you make uh, a, a creative ecosystem that is going to produce assets at scale that are going to fit into each of those and optimized for each of those experiences. And that's very challenging, uh, but that's mm -hmm. a fun challenge too. And the, the key is understanding which true platforms and channels you need to be on and then working backwards kind of from there um, so that you can be the most effective within that. But that's one of those fun challenges, right? That's one of the things that's never going away. I feel like based off of what I'm hearing out through all my conversations, through the podcast I listen to, through the community I'm part of, content's always been really important, but there's something, there's some energy that's happening. Trevor can totally lean into this too. There's some energy that's happening around content sort of being the pillar and, and yes. the stake in the ground. Oh my gosh. I'm really glad that you mentioned that because... Um... One of the things that I've actually been talking about uh, with a, a few different companies is how important creative assets actually are within this ecosystem. So you and me coming from analytics and media and the tech side, we uh, immediately go to, well, how does everything work together? How do I get that um, the, the, the big customer data platform that has that one key for the user that I can segment and move across all of these different things. What does the tech look like? What kind of loss do I have in cookie matching? All of those really deep technical things. But the thing is, there's a lot of really, 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 really smart people that are figuring that out in different ways. I, I wouldn't say it's perfect, but there's a lot of overlap. And within that, you're able to produce that nearly seamless environment. Even with that nearly seamless environment, if your content and your creative isn't appealing, you still have nothing. It's as important as your product. So it, I, I actually see we're going to see a shift in the coming years within this omni-channel kind of focus uh, um, where the tech stack is still very important and still the foundation. But, and it's always gonna be there. It's more of choosing, if you're making a painting, what color and what type of paint, but the creative itself is what is it that you're actually painting? Because if you're not painting something really interesting, it doesn't matter how advanced your paint is if the image isn't appealing. And that's a pretty, it's a loose analogy. Yeah, but I but pick it up. I see this as someday being creative and experience led. And the reason why you, you talk about it being content, Part of that content is the experience itself. How do you interact? What's, what, what are your media touch points along your whole total journey in that funnel? And what kind of creative ecosystem is being built to support that that is going to be appealing to you? And if it looks like Frankenstein and it's really bad, you're gonna, you're gonna bounce, even if it's a really good offer, even if it was the right time and I'm the right person. If that creative doesn't matter to me in any way, I'm gone. So. Yeah getting the, the targeting obviously there's still a lot going on with targeting i'm not saying that that is figured out and done and easy but it, it's easier than when you know i bootstrapped this from the ground up at, at an agency it's significantly easier to do it now than it was then and we could still do it so but that creative it's it, that's never going to 
change in terms of it being really important. So I, I, I and again, I know that sounds a little bit um, weird, you knowing me and my background being so focused on analytics, but it needs to be in place for people to kind of care about. And one of the- Well, it's the thing we A-B test, right? When we're talking about analytics, there's nothing to test if we're not testing creative and messaging yeah. and like what people are resonating with. Absolutely, right? yes. Yeah, and and one of the ways that, that I see for creating this uh, personalization and hyper-targeting within, hyper-targeting, I'm using loosely, it's not truly, I don't think it's truly hyper-targeting, but personalization within this omni-channel funnel is a core set of assets that is accessible across departments within the organization so that you have this center of excellence that's dictating what kind of should be done and then you have a pool of things that are on brand within the message that creatives can go in and pull from uh, and apply correctly very challenging to do so it doesn't look like frankenstein but i do think that, that, that it's possible and this is how you start being able to produce this um, always on media, but the messaging is able to change relatively quickly. And now depending on what your product set is in your audience, you may or may not need to do that. But then you can do it relatively fast without having to burn out your creatives and making endless amounts of content. Cause that's the real problem with this, right? Yeah. Is as you get more personalized, you need more and more and more and more and more content. Well, mm -hmm. then you start doing it poorly. You know, well, maybe not, but you burn people out doing that. And then your machine breaks down. Having a way to do it uh, faster and and mostly seamless based on what's needed, I think is going to be one of the big uh, turning points for organizations. And Trevor, yeah, Trevor's agreeing with you. He's saying content creation needs to be faster, more timely, and in his uh opinion, less evergreen, which is, I think is what you're saying too. We're getting away from this evergreen content, but we're building a system where we can easily change out the content oh, to fit the what needs I of the audience that we're talking is to. A creative messaging ecosystem that is evergreen, but the message has changed based yeah. on offer and experience, basically. I The only thing I'll caveat all of this with is SEO is still a huge opportunity and still lives on oh. and is still evergreen. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. And right, so like, right. So if you build a giant, so here's an example that again, my business partner, thank you, Mike Krass had given to me earlier this week around a report. There's a company that builds its entire marketing efforts around a single report. They build that report, takes them a whole year to cultivate. So it's like Christmas morning, right? Like they deliver the report on Christmas morning and then they wake up and they have to do it all over again and like get another report yep, together. Yep. Um, but, they live, but they live off of that report for an entire yep. year in this micro content that they, that they pull out to meet the audiences and needs of certain people and this micro content throughout. And so I think we'll start to see a bit of that between the evergreen of needing to, to hit that for SEO. And then how do we break that down yeah. to meet the needs and message that throughout, you know, that becomes the pillar that you're talking about that sort of brand guidelines becomes that pillar piece that we then all sort of like feed off of. Yeah. And, um, and so I, I think it's really similar. I mean, from and you would know this a little bit better than I would just based on some of your experience but is there it's a rare time when you're not bidding on certain key terms within your search right similarly so those are 
evergreen. You're, you, yeah. your, your branded terms, for example, is a good example of that. You're going to get what you get out of it and you kind of always need to be there. You can play with the bidding strategy, et cetera, uh, should you choose to go that angle. Um, but what the, the so that's kind of always on, but the idea that you should shift it based on how things are changing, absolutely, you shouldn't be static. That creates a lot of waste. Yeah, which I love what you're talking about. Everything you've been talking about from the funnel to the omni-channel to, and to the personalization that you've been baking in throughout the conversation, everything co is coming back to the audience and yep. the ICP, <laughs> Yes. right? Yes. So Can how you do you define, ICP? how do you, ICP is um, ideal customer profile, which is more around when you're talking B2B, you're talking more around the, to your point, the higher level, the collection, the, the accounts, the industry, mm -hmm. the um, not personas, we'll get there in a second, but just like your ideal customer of who you're ideally wanting to talk to on a grand, on a, on a high level. Um, yeah, that is, uh, I like that. And I think there's an important distinction to make of who's ideal and then who's there and then what is the delta and why is that? And why is your ideal different than what you're actually getting? Um, so that is important to kind of dig into because it could be whoever's designing that ideal, it could be more aspirational rather than really connected to what's driving the business or your business may be positioned a little bit differently than what you actually think. Um, but getting the data on that is kind of interesting. So how do I think about that in terms of the, the funnel in general? The funnel and omni-channel, yeah, and personalization, yeah. right? Yeah, so I like the idea of the, of the ideal candidate. The, the issue is making sure that that ideal candidate works, right? Um, if you are... So there isn't necessarily a mismatch between what's ideal and then what is reasonable that you're reasonably kind of going to get. So assuming that you've done that work, then your ideal car, ideal audience. Your, your ideal customer profile should be baked from the people who are actually buying from you and the problems. And you mentioned this earlier from the actual problems you saw your product and brand solve, right? You always have yeah. some outliers, yeah. but at the end of the day, what does your product do to the and in in line with the problems they solve and who are those problems who has those problems and finding those folks totally i mean that should absolutely be a major consideration when you're talking about all of your media that's going out is who are those people and where are they and how can i reach them and then when i am reaching them starting them at the top of the funnel with an awareness and then if i have any data on them um, doing things like lookalike targeting and different targeting to move them automatically to different stages of the funnel based on their experience, get them and uh, get exposure to them and get them to your homepage, for example, or your campaign page. And then from there, begin moving them down the funnel based on what behavior they've taken. So if that's they're reading white paper A, then sending the next reasonable white paper that you would think would move them down that funnel. Um, I do want to call out that when you start going down the uh, conversation of what that kind of next best action is, you start having the conversation of machine learning in terms of historical data and how you can move folks down the best way. The, the thing with that, which is almost a little bit 
um, I wouldn't say off-putting is you need a lot of data and a lot of history to do that. So don't necessarily assume that that is uh, a requirement off the bat when you're doing your pilot, because it, it's going to take a long time to get enough data to have a significant view of truly from a machine learning point, what really should be the next step that's going to take time. And very often what you'll see to this evergreen point is a lot of different messages in the market changing very, very rapidly. So it'll, it, it can get hard to kind of get to that point, but that shouldn't be off-putting to trying to guide your ICP or any uh, or your mm -hmm. ideal customer uh, or in your existing customers in general through kind of that funnel. So I think that answers the question and goes off on a tangent, but I hope so. No, but I like your tangent because two things in your tangent. One is let's talk about third-party cookies for a second because you mentioned some tactics that are going to be implicated by third-party cookies. And I feel like that's why you're harping on the importance of getting somebody to your website because the minute yeah. they're on your website and you can drop a cookie, then you have some data. Yeah, and reliable data. So, I mean, third-party cookies are great, but you end up, uh, yeah, I don't really have anything bad to say about third-party cookies. It's how you expand your pool, really, is you identify a key but set of going users. away. Well, yeah, for now, yeah. And I don't have a solution for that. But the most, the more that you can get someone into a place where you are able to get information on them in some way, shape, or form, the better off that you are going to be, for sure. I know that there's going to be solutions that are outside of cookies for sure. But, um, and there's, you know, the clean rooms are, are one of the things that folks are talking about a little bit as a way to get around the walled gardens. But if you can get someone into your walled garden, then it's significantly easier to use. And it's actually where um, a lot of this moves from um, push uh, media in general, I guess it's all media, but moving into an email communication so that, and then different kind of events so that you can get them out of a place where it's purely based on exposure to traditional what we call advertisements and more focused on content and experiences. And that is going to be pretty effective too. Now you're not going to be able to personalize every single experience, but you can personalize emails. So it's true. It's true. It's moving in this direction. I can feel the energy moving in this direction towards events, especially community newsletters yeah. every you know something surrounding content content being sort of the center that pulls people in and then you start making connections for those people yeah um and and sort of building the web around it that then moves people through the funnel in that way which is an interesting sort of turn of events given people don't want to be sold to they also don't want to give up their information yeah. um and uh if they do give up their information it better be one hell of a piece of content that they're doing that for um, and something they're going to get on a subscription like basis. Right. So I just subscribed to a really cool email for um, building uh, categories. So pirate categories, really cool. And they have yeah. a newsletter. So you sign up for the newsletter and every week you get a piece of content that's going to help you build a category, which is incredibly powerful. Um, so I do think that there's going to be a shift towards first party, first capturing data, but also the content being the pillar of that. Yeah. Um, the other thing I want to touch on in relation to something you said around, uh, and I lost my thought because we are actually at time and we can oh, literally no. go on for this. Let's I know, fast. I know we could go on for days on this because it's you yeah. and me. And this is, you all got a glimpse into what MEC was like. I hope Mark, 
I hope yeah. Marky Sagan's sitting somewhere with a pile of popcorn. <laughs> um, that would be the most glorious picture ever. I don't know. But, you didn't disagree with me on anything, so I don't think it was quite the same. We have that's to. That's true. We did. That's true. We didn't go. We're, yeah. we're in agreement these days, yeah. which we'll have to work on. Um, but Adrian. <laughs> just to wrap up our conversation around identifying who you need to be talking to, the pain points in which they have, building a funnel around how to, around the intent of which they live and the customer journey, getting them away, you know, getting them from that awareness piece, getting them on your website, being able to capture any sort of data, even if yeah. it's not a personal email, but any sort of data to then personalize the experience and help them move through to make a decision. Did I capture it in a nutshell? Oh. You, you did, but there, there's so much more to it. And one of the things that I really want to focus on before, but yes, to answer your question, it's a yes and. One of the things that, that folks forget about, but it's almost, it is more important, is the existing customers and ensuring that the exposure to them is personalized based on their experiences and having that in mind, because if you've already purchased a product, you don't want to get messages on that product. If you've already purchased that project product and you go to the homepage, you don't want to be resold that product that you already have. That makes you annoyed at the brand and um, creates this, this friction. You're not going to, the reason why this is important, we all know that, expanding existing customers is cheaper and more effective than acquiring new customers. And if you are not personalizing your experience for your existing customers, you are creating that conflict off the bat. And that's just a bad idea. And again, yeah, I know we're your customers. You absolutely could. Yeah. And I know we're at time, but uh, that I think was everything you said. Plus don't forget about post-purchase. Very, very important. You got to keep your current customers as you build yeah. onto it. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And it's much easier to personalize the experience for your existing customers, knowing what their problems are and what they're trying to achieve and yes. giving them that experience. Yeah. Um, yes. We didn't get into a lot of the how folks, which I appreciate. There's probably a lot of questions up in the air. So please feel free, even though post live to drop those questions into the comments, we will circle back with you and get you some answers. And then who knows, maybe it'll, it'll create an opportunity for round two, Adrian. I'd love that. I, 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 one of the things I'd love to do is build a, a nice little map of exactly how to do all of this within the existing tech stack but then that comes into a major problem of you're going to get a lot of a lot of tech and then how do you consolidate it, et cetera. But that sounds really fun. Hey, you know, you start it and then maybe that's a piece of content, pillar content that we build off of and we do it together and it'll be great. Groovy. Before we leave, Adrian, you are a human and a wonderful human. We've talked a lot about marketing, but just tell us, have you picked up any new hobbies in the last few years given the change of the world oh you know i um work out a lot i have a great home gym at home and i have found and meditation as well uh mindful meditation is big um so it's not just a haircut i'm into the mindful meditation um working out and then i read a lot too um i found some fun fantasy books and i read nightly uh, as well as you know the self-help stuff and professional development but it's really fun to have a nice fantasy uh book um to to escape into yeah it, it's awesome um and then but yeah um working out's been major for me in terms of mental and physical health so 
I bet. Well, for those who are listening, if you are interested in connecting with Adrian Menstel, please, please, please connect with him on LinkedIn. You can find him here on LinkedIn. Thank you, LinkedIn, for making that so easy now that we're live. This is so great. Yeah, um, yeah Adrian, as always, such a joy. I'm so grateful. Yeah. I'm so grateful. I hope and I have you- some things that I can argue with you about in the future. We're going to figure that out because yeah. we're really good at, at yeah, that's going to be great. Thank you to our listeners. Thank you, Trevor Van Warden, for joining us and for your lovely questions. Ashley, uh, he tagged two people, um, Ashley and uh, and Liam. Ashley and Liam, if you have any follow-up questions, please let us know. We'd be happy to answer those. This episode was brought to you by MKG Marketing, the digital marketing agency that helps grow your business to help forward your mission, especially for complex B2B brands. So thank you all so much and uh, see you out there. Thank you.